0: So our reading this evening is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and that's page 1053 in the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly all the people saw this and began to mutter he has gone to be the guest of a sinner but zacchaeus stood up and said to the lord look lord here and now i give half of my possessions to the poor and if i have cheated anybody out of anything i will pay back four times the amount jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity to hear your voice and we pray that as we do that, you might encourage us and challenge us, help us to learn from uh, the life of Zacchaeus and of Jesus' interaction with him this evening. Amen. Well, growing up in the Dennis household, I was a campaigner for change. I remember being desperate for a decent video player with a proper remote control, not one of those remote controls on a wire. I mean, what's the point? You had to get out of your seat to get to the remote control on the wire. By the way, do you guys at the back even know what a video is? do? Okay, Good. Of course, um, when I campaigned, we had um, one of those top-loader video things. And when I campaigned for change, my campaigns fell on deaf ears. This was the reply. There's nothing wrong with the current one. I mean, there's some sense in that, isn't there? Tonight, we're looking at the next in our series of, I can't become a Christian. And tonight we're thinking, because I can't change now. can't change now. I'm not sure how often people think they can't change, but I'm pretty sure that often people don't want to change. Why do I need to change? There's, there's nothing wrong with the current one. It's fine, there's nothing wrong with the current me. I'm basically fine. People don't want to embrace the Christian faith for all sorts of reasons. They don't want to change because they don't want to give up their current lifestyle which they just sense would be incompatible with serving Christ. Perhaps they're concerned about what others will think of them. Or perhaps they don't want to change because they don't like to acknowledge, they want to acknowledge the idea that someone else might be in control of their lives. And there's plenty more reasons as well, isn't there? Perhaps one reason why people might want to change but don't is because they don't have the means to change. I mean, think about your own, your own life. There's lots of things that you would change if you could, but you don't have the time, or the money, or the discipline, or the energy. And I think sometimes when it comes to the Christian faith, people would love, maybe someone said to you, I'd love to have your faith, but they just don't think they have the means. I think that's often because Christian friends can be such wonderful examples. And uh, friends look at Christians and just say, I'd love to have your faith. It's really brilliant. But then they think, but I could never be like you. I could never be good enough to be a Christian. For um, those of us who are Christians here this evening, which I suspect is most of us, the question... Or this objection to becoming a Christian probably isn't directly relevant. But I do wonder whether sometimes we we look at our friends and we think, they'll never become a Christian. They'll never change. Their lifestyle or their hostility to religion means we look at them, they just seem so far from God, we think, they'll never change. Now Zacchaeus is someone you'd probably put into that category. Look at verse 2 of chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was chief tax collector at that. And he was wealthy. Now, as chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was responsible for ensuring that the people of Israel paid their taxes to the Romans. I mean, we don't particularly like paying taxes now, do we? But in that culture, that culture, it was the worst because The Roman, the Israel, if you like, were under occupation by Roman rule. Paying taxes was a sign of their occupation. They hated it. And being a tax collector meant that you collected the taxes, but you were basically free to collect whatever you wanted to on top. It was free reign. And so Zacchaeus and his tax-collecting minions became wealthy. They were known for being corrupt greedy, and they were seen as traitors, siding with the Romans, the enemy power occupying Israel. I guess people might have viewed them, tax collectors then, as British people would have done to someone who sided with the Nazis during the World War. Tax collectors were hated. And Zacchaeus had done really well from his ill-gotten gains. He was wealthy. But interestingly, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Look at verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. That's slightly odd. Why does Zacchaeus care who Jesus is. Why does he want to see him? Just curiosity? Well it must be more than that because Zacchaeus goes to great lengths to see Jesus. He, he runs ahead of the cl- crowd, he climbs a tree. Zacchaeus is a wealthy man, this is quite an undignified thing to do. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. There's there's something going on in Zacchaeus' life. Perhaps there's a lesson here for all of us. It is often the people who who seem to be most far from faith, or even the most hostile to faith, that are actually the most desperate for faith. They never think that, they never admit it, but much of what they do is to cover up insecurities or weaknesses, which they never want to admit to themselves or to others. I remember uh, going to a wedding of, up in Sheffield, and one of the guys I played rugby with, and uh, you can imagine what rugby boys at a wedding are like, and uh, it wasn't particularly pretty. And I remember watching the boys uh, on the dance floor, I was standing with another guy called Luke, and Luke turned to me and he said, which of those guys do you think is the most unhappy? And it was obvious. I won't tell you his name, but he was the party animal. He was the one really going for it. He was the one who was obsessed by sex and girls. It was him. And my non-Christian mate could see it. It was obvious. See, just because someone seems hostile or angry or their lifestyle seems so far from God's doesn't mean they don't need him. Often that lifestyle is to cover up for their insecurities. Now Zacchaeus had obviously heard about what Jesus is doing. And there is some part of him, despite all that he's done, that wants to see Jesus. Perhaps he wants to see what Jesus has to offer. Perhaps he's heard on the grapevine that Jesus seems to be reaching out to people like him, the outsiders of society. But still... But still, nothing could have prepared him for what happened next. Look at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You might be familiar with this story, but this is a shocking moment. It is understandable that the crowd reacts like they do. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What is Jesus doing? Reaching out to the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame is one thing. But reaching out to a traitor like a tax collector, that is beyond the pale. We, um, We aren't privileged to know What happened back at Zacchaeus' house as Zacchaeus and Jesus had a nice cup of tea and chatted. But whatever it was, an extraordinary change takes place in Zacchaeus. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is a huge turnaround, a massive change. This isn't just guilty Zacchaeus making things right by trying to do the bare minimum. Zacchaeus is going above and beyond. This is genuine change, not just a token gesture. What's led to this drastic change? Well, verse 9, he's received salvation, hasn't he? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Abraham was the spiritual father of God's people. So if Zacchaeus has become a son of Abraham, Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you now truly belong back in God's people. You might have been a traitor, but now you are welcomed back. Zacchaeus has received salvation and it has changed him. But I think Luke, Luke, in his account, actually gives three more little clues as to what has happened over that cup of tea. Luke just hasn't thrown this gospel together. He knows what he's doing. He's ordered things deliberately. deliberately. And just before this passage, Luke describes Jesus having an encounter with a blind beggar. This beggar is... The total opposite of the social hierarchy. He has nothing. Totally dependent on hands out from others. Zacchaeus is wealthy and has all he needs. And yet the blind beggar and Zacchaeus both have the same problem. They can't see. They are both as blind as each other. And wonderfully then, just as Jesus opens the eyes of the blind beggar, So Jesus opens Zacchaeus' eyes. Jesus opens Zacchaeus' eyes. That's the first thing that happened in that encounter. The second thing that happened in the encounter is this. Zacchaeus received Jesus. Look at verse 6. The word welcomed there literally means more received. Zacchaeus received Jesus. And I think in that, Luke has a lot more in mind than just Zacchaeus opening the door to let Jesus in. Zacchaeus opens up his life to Jesus and lets him in. In this culture, to invite someone into your home is an act of grace. And look carefully. Notice Zacchaeus doesn't invite Jesus. Jesus invites Zacchaeus. This might be Zacchaeus' house, but Jesus is the host. It's Jesus who invites Zacchaeus in. And it's Jesus who invites us in. All Zacchaeus did was receive him. And that's all we do. Thirdly, Zacchaeus recognised he was lost. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. I don't know if you've ever been properly lost. I mean properly lost. Maybe you're on a walk and the fog comes down and you don't have a map and you have no idea where you are. It's a pretty uh, horrible feeling, isn't it? You feel completely helpless And if it starts to get dark, you might even begin to feel really desperate, desperate for someone to come and find you, to rescue you. In order to receive and welcome Jesus, people need to know that they need him. And in fact, that we are lost without him. You see, the blind beggar, well, he knows he's lost, doesn't he? He's desperate, he's got nothing else. His life is a mess. But Zacchaeus, well he's the rich man who's got everything. Uh, No he hasn't. He's just as lost as the blind man. Only he's never been able to admit it. But now as he sits face to face with Jesus, his eyes have been opened and he realises that he is lost. And then as a result he receives Jesus and salvation I don't know if you've um, ever listened to people's testimonies where people say, I found God. Well, we know what people mean when they say, I found God. But it's not true. See, the whole idea of being lost is that we cannot find our way. We cannot find anything. No one finds God. The story of salvation is God's finding us. Jesus finds Zacchaeus up a tree. Jesus found you in your Christian family when you were seven. Jesus found you in your church youth group when you were 14. Jesus found you on a camp. Jesus found you at university or through the friends who told you about Jesus. You didn't find Jesus, Jesus found you. And when he found you, he invited you in. Jesus opened your eyes. He offered you salvation. And all you and I do is receive him. And that is what's happened to to Zacchaeus. And when it happens to Zacchaeus, he is utterly transformed. So let's go back to the question we started with. We said this, I can't become a Christian because I can't change now. Well, let's just very briefly tease out three implications we see from Zacchaeus. The first is this. If people truly see and receive Jesus, they will change. If people truly see and receive Jesus, they will change. Lots of people know about Jesus. Lots of people read their Bible. Some people even lecture on the Bible and Jesus. But when people truly have their eyes opened by Jesus, change is the inevitable consequence. So there is little point in trying to persuade someone to change if they haven't first seen Jesus. If people um, don't want to change, people say, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to change. Well, God will never make people do something they don't want to do. But when God opens people's eyes, people will change. As people see Jesus, they will realise that they do actually want to change their current lifestyle. A lifestyle that's not compatible with serving Christ. Christ. As people see Jesus, they will be less concerned about what others think of their faith. It'll be a joy to acknowledge that someone else is in control of their life. If people truly see and receive Jesus, they will change. Secondly, receiving Jesus is the only means of change. So we said earlier that uh, some people really do want to become Christians but they just can't see how they could change. I could never live like you do or I can never be good enough to be a Christian. They just don't think they have the means. The wonderful thing about the Gospel is that Jesus gives us the means of change. Change is impossible when it depends on our resources. We can never make ourselves good enough for God. We can never clean ourselves up in order to be acceptable. The only thing that we can do is to recognise that we are lost and utterly helpless and receive Christ. That is the only means to change. And that is the only means to change when you first become a Christian and actually it's the only means to change as you go on in a Christian. We recognise we are in need of God's mercy and help and by his spirit we rely on the resources that he gives us. He alone makes us acceptable to God. And we know that because not long from this encounter Jesus will also be up a tree. But Jesus won't have climbed his, he'll be nailed to his. In our place. So that we might receive life when we deserve death. So that we might be changed. So that we might receive his spirit dwelling in us that will continue to transform us. So as we think about change, we must be really careful to ensure that we don't mix up the order. Change is the result only of seeing and receiving Jesus. Not the means by which we no Jesus. Thirdly and finally, don't be the judge of who Jesus can change. I think many of us are guilty of presuming, as we said earlier, that some people will never change. That that person will never become a Christian. How do we do that? Well, I guess it's reflected in who we pray for. Perhaps there's some people that we never pray for because we just think they're too far gone. Perhaps it's reflected in who we invite to events. If you're like me, you might just invite the nice people. The people you think are generally quite moral and upstanding, they're probably likely to want to come to a Christian event. Why? Why do we limit God's grace? Why do we judge who might want to receive Christ? You see, Zacchaeus would not have been one of those nice, friendly people. No one would have imagined that Zacchaeus might have been transformed by Jesus. He was a sinner and everyone knew it. So don't be the judge of who Jesus can change. So then, what's our task? How do people change? Well, all we can do is to show people Jesus. That's all we can do. I love that bit at the beginning of um, John's Gospel where um, some of the people have seen Jesus, some of the disciples, and uh, they run away. And I think, I can't remember, is it Nathaniel, who says to Philip, or the other way around, they say, come and see. Come and see. That's the invitation. Come and see Jesus. And that's all we can do. Come and see Jesus. Jesus and he does the rest let's pray gracious God we thank you that you are in the business of changing people we thank you that by your grace in your son You changed the life of Zacchaeus, that salvation came to seek and save what was lost. And we thank you that that is true for us if today we are Christians by trusting Jesus. We do pray, Lord, that you would use us to show others Jesus. And we pray that we would have the privilege of seeing him change the lives of our friends and family. Amen.